Hello and welcome to the King Heroes Journey podcast. Today I have Chance Garten on for the third time, back by popu popular demand. <laughs> Chance, you're popular among my people, I tell you. Is that true? Is that it really, really true? is. It really is. Because when I when I want to find my friends, all I do is go over to your Telegram. <laughs> I was going to say, you're popular with my people. We have really good <laughs> crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brother from another mother, some people say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. a small world in these circles that we talk in. It's getting smaller and smaller by the second, too. Yeah, yeah. You got it for, for all kinds of weird reasons, even. But uh, hello, Shannon, Shannon Legro is here. I love your name, Shannon, by the way. Just watching your interview with Bear Lando. That was so good. I was, uh, his perspective is right on. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually one of the most, while we're waiting for people to uh, jump on here, that was like one of the most exciting and satisfying law interviews I've done after so many in a row, you think that I would have hit that one already, but uh, it just seemed bang, bang on. And if you're not familiar with Chance, by the way, he is the host of Innerverse Podcast. You can find him at innerversepodcast.com. His shows are consistently 100% good. I literally never regret spending time uh, listening to your shows. And, and there are certainly others that, that I do. It's, you know, can be hit and miss, or maybe it's just off topic. But there's something about, I was trying to describe it to somebody yesterday, uh, you know, like, well, what kind of topics does he cover? So I'm going to let you speak for yourself right now. If you can describe what that is, you know, I, I said like esoteric, and then I and then I go dot, dot, dot in my mind. <laughs> so how would how would you describe the, the topics that you like to cover? I do like the esoteric angle for any topic that I'm getting into, but the purpose of the show is to inspire creativity, open imagination, and heal the worldview of people involved, both for me, the guest, and whoever's listening. So what's cool about it is the topics kind of synchronistically flow together. Like all month, I've been involved in topics like the one we're going to get into today. And you didn't know that that was the direction my show was specifically taking this month or anything like that. So transhumanism and the AI control grid, that was a big show I just put out with Wayne McCroy Jr. And yep. that's a phenomenal, I'm sure it will really pair nicely with this one if people haven't heard that. But yeah, drop us a link below to that one if you can. Sure, I'll dig that up in a second. Okay, um, that sounds good. I can I can probably grab it from your uh, Rockfin as well. Yeah, it's on Rockfin or GooTube. I'm mm -hmm. still in the process of putting the video up other places, but on my RSS feed, it's just as good. Mm -hmm. So, Fantastic. yeah, I mean, I talk to everybody from painters to authors or other podcasters, and the topics do vary a lot, but I like anything imaginative and esoteric, and that reminds us all that we're part of the same eternal flowing process of self-existing life force energy. And that doesn't mean we're all the same. We are all connected in that flow. And the more that we can go with that flow, the more that we'll all feel unified and in sync with each other without having to try. And the more we try to force our wishes that are against the flow to manifest, the further away we'll get from ourselves and the more out of sync we'll feel with everybody. So I'm trying to always bring that perspective, the fractal perspective to whatever talk I'm in. 
So that's very good. my current nutshell for it. It changes every time I'm asked. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a great explanation. And if you happen to be new to the King Heroes Journey podcast, this is where I host those souls that are less afraid. It's probably not a, a good way to put it, but they're courageous about speaking out and uh, saying the thing that the vast majority of people might not want to hear out there. And like you said, helping people to, to uh, refine their perspective, to to look at things differently and actually see with with clarity rather than with the the cloud <clears throat> that is hanging over us these days and within us you know I, I took a a long walk kind of pounding the pavement to the garden oh thanks for sharing that link on on rockfin and uh, if you by the by the way want to watch on rockfin here is the link as well i shared in the chat so hopefully you can see that I, it maybe just shows up on youtube i don't know it's it's, it's a little strange still and here's the Interverse podcast with Wayne McCroy, who I've had on this channel as well. And yeah, so king heroes are those who are willing to get out and be the head of the spear, say the things people don't like, uh, risk criticism, risk the perils of power, right? Because you've got the king archetype that operates in, in both the, the light and the shadow, and it's no guarantee you have to choose that lightness. Otherwise, the shadow has a certain gravity due to collective consciousness. And uh, there's pitfalls. So, so congratulations, Chance, for navigating very gracefully and smoothly. Actually, our last stream here was about stealth and grace. You'll definitely want to check that out. I emailed everybody a link to that one, our, our very first one and, and this one today. If you're not on my email list, you could go to bethmartins.com and sign up for anything that I offer for free. For example, most people choose one of the archetype quizzes, the Merpreneur's Journey Archetype Quiz or the King Hero's Journey Archetype Quiz. If it's not totally obvious, one tends to be more for men and one tends to be more for women. So often people I notice do both and we do have the masculine and feminine in us both as well. Uh, we've got lots of good people showing up on the on the chat here. Bear Lando, yay! That was so great yesterday. Oh my gosh, I was absolutely blown away. No pressure, chance. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I got to tune in. I haven't had a chance yet. Oh boy, that was a mind blower. I for knew Dr. Was... Lando on your previous episode together and on some other shows he's done. I think mm -hmm, Crow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, such a, a good, good soul, highly knowledgeable, and I didn't really realize it until not too long ago that about uh, the, the way that he's been studying the law for a long time. So uh, Bear, if you're listening, I did hook you up with Alphonse Fangiolo. He emailed you right away last night in case you haven't seen your emails yet. Jenny B is here. So good. Mandela Mile, 666 people in Australia got the VEX 6 and had too little. It was diluted wrong. So all 666 has to be vexed again. Okay. All right. I'll try to wrap my head around that. <laughs> Still, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Shannon Legras is here. And hello, um, Colin A. Nice to see you. Sue Finelli is here. That's awesome. Sandra Martin, are you on the road on the way? I don't, I don't want to uh, say too much more if you're if I'm blowing your cover there darn I think I did it already singe man and uh, Dutch since or Beth Martin's not sure Vonich what you mean by that but welcome anyway Laura Hoff is here so good well I'm excited and no doubt there's going to be some questions and we're going to dive in with something and I want to credit first Mr. Art Zimmerman for saying this phrase that it's been in my head ever since that God knows everything and the devil wants to know everything. 
it was just such a big boom for me, like huge. And it, it got me down this rabbit hole. And then, you know, collective consciousness, you've been taking your channel in that direction of cybernetics, which we'll talk about, which is, is different than I thought, right? We think about it as, sorry for the sirens, we think about it more as, uh, you know, just robotics and maybe artificial intelligence that's being publicized, but it goes much deeper than that. Uh, and it's really got me contemplating about some basic things like counting, you know, why, why is that beast so hungry for our data? Why are people very blind to it out there when they talk about, oh, well, I've got nothing to hide, take all my data. And it's like, it's not like that. It's not that you're hiding because, or you're private is a better way to say it, because you have done wrong things. That's not what it's about, right? It's it, There's something much deeper here, and, and we're going to get to the heart of it with Chance today. I know you have some great stuff prepared, so where would you like to start with this big subject? Well, I want to comment. Okay, I got three things. Let's see if I can remember them all. First, uh, I think this conversation will really help connect dots with the uh, Gnosticism and the Archon question that we did two ago two times ago that I was on here, mm -hmm. where I demonstrated the whole simulation theory, video game programming, <laughs> all kinds of spiritual materialism of that is simulation theory, fun times. And this is kind of connected to that. But that quote you gave about the devil and God, that made a lot of sense because we know God is good and devil derives from evil. They are meant to mean those two things. And in our life, in our individual experience of life, how do we find the good or how do we know what's right? Oftentimes it's by experiencing the evil or what's wrong. So as a dynamic in consciousness, we have to have this tension and dissonance in our experience of life to find God or find good or to know and learn. But the way that it's being, the way data is being used by big tech oligarchs is a different kind of devil. And this is about control, not about, I mean, they even couch it in these terms, though, that with the big data, they can help us make better decisions. But what that really means is they're going to make decisions for you and you're going to be trained out of making decisions. So, And you're going to think they're your decisions, right? Yeah. That, that's the trick of it. Yeah, exactly. We're going to demonstrate that with some <laughs> insider information, but... I lost the third thing. Maybe it'll come back later. I just wanted to comment on that quote because it's really profound. And we can learn not just about why big data is being used in the sense that it's for evil purposes, but also why does that dynamic exist in consciousness? And should we feel defeated until all evils eradicated from the world? Or should we look at the evils in our world as the impetus for us to change our own behavior and do what we know is right and what we know is good and in this way follow the creator or god which is good that's brilliant i love it i love it so good yeah so let's talk about the foundation of it right what what is what is that and and i i assume this relates back to your talk with wayne mccroy again that i highly recommend and the link is there in the chat that uh you know there's there is a uh you know is, is it the uh, automation that we're dealing with that of course when you when you start to get one to many things change right when anything scales then <clears throat> I knew this from marketing in, in in the work that I did with my family's firm that as soon as you were mass marketing it was a completely different beast and beast is the word 
right? If faceless, nameless, based on metrics. If you didn't have the metrics, you didn't have the numbers, you, you actually couldn't navigate. There would be no way to spend money wisely on advertising, for example. Whereas when you're at the grassroots level, it's much more a feeling, it's much more conversation, it's much more relationship-based, often one-to-one and, and, and still can bloom into one-to-many, but it's way more personal. You know, people are messaging me right now on Rockfin, for example, that's extremely personal that, uh, that we can do that. So it's a different, a different level, a different scale. So what, what do you think birthed all of this in the first place? That's a good question. And I think it goes back to maybe the point where numbers quit having a spiritual connotation or a correlation to other aspects of life and became just this um, abstract integer way of looking at numbers. That's kind of like the uh, Luciferian fall in a sense, because now we can just look at human beings as a statistic, for example. And that has been going on since way before there was digitized data systems. And yeah, uh, the funny thing about this is a lot of the information and predictions that are made off of big data don't really have <laughs> a foundation in accurate math, as in the entire concept that you can do things like take a sample size of 300 and somehow know what 350 million think based on that sample size. And these are the type of these are the type of wools that are pulled over the public's eyes all the time with data and statistics. So that's one aspect of manipulating people's behavior and perceptions using big data. But a lot of times that data in the past wasn't even that big. We also have the replication crisis in the sciences right now. It's not talked about. It's kind of hush-hush. But the fact is that the majority of even what are considered what is it, peer-reviewed, journal-published studies, they never get replicated, and the ones that do almost never can be replicated. And you'll find that when these type of studies are ever presented to the public, it's always the ones that have some sort of novelty factor that makes you want to buy a product or something like that. Right. Uh, an example, I mean, I, this is just an off-the-top-of-my-head example, not necessarily a true example, but like coffee will make you less likely to get heart attacks or something. However many people, it's probably not true, right? But you might see an article like that and not even read past the headline, but it's only been done on a small sample of people as a study and never replicated. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the funny thing is the more novel the results of a study are, the more unlikely they are to be replicatable. That is a big part of the replication crisis. So even what people are taking as gospel and truth is just weird experiments that don't have any grounds in reality because you can't actually that easily balance for every potential factor that might be going on. And you obviously can't do tests on the entire population at once until we get to the age of real big data harvesting and, you know, the digital world we're in now. And now all of a sudden, of a sudden they're solving that problem for themselves by improving the sample size dramatically. Yeah, exactly. And the whole thing about causality too, right? When when you're talking about studies and and they always want to prove something that they already have in mind. So there, there's nothing open-ended about it. Like a true experiment is is uh, what what builds experience, what builds wisdom. Like to me, that's what exists in nature. 
But what's been disnatured is this, you start with the conclusion, okay, we want to prove this so we can sell that product is often the case. And then, and then we're going to eliminate anything that doesn't actually match with the data. This is not new to anybody here on this, on this channel, but, but it, it ends up creating this illusion of causality that maybe one thing causes the other thing. And we know that at the level, level of nature, it's infinitely more complex than that. You really can't say one thing causes the other thing. That's why this pandemic is such a hoax because it's like, oh, this little, you know, fictional microbe that can't be proved, that, that contagion can't even be proved. And honestly, I can't say this enough. It's, it's crazy. People, especially in the truth community, are still buying contagion. It's, it's, it's time to uh, really look in and let that go. Uh, but, you know, so you can't say anything, even if you had an enormous sample size, you still can't say anything about causality. You still can't reduce each individual uh, child of God, I'm getting running out of ways to talk about this, into into a, a number, a sample size. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't translate. It doesn't give you truth. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why the larger data, data har harvesting blah, is uh, something that will be able to make more accurate predictions and <laughs> actionable intelligence for the people that are harvesting said data. I wanted to, as a way to really warm us up to the manipulations that are already underway and that future generations will likely experience, there's two things I want to get into. And you already gave me the thumbs up to play about an eight minute video. And we might do that second. If you are cool with me spending a couple minutes reading an editorial from the great James Corbett, mm. that it's a pretty new, it's a pretty new article, big data exposed. And I think that I can probably get through this in about five or so minutes, but it's very, we don't have to screen share for it either. I'll okay. just read it out loud. Okay. But, Sounds good. It's a good, it's a good one. James Corbett of the Corbett Report. And I got that wrong. This is from 2017. So we're already way beyond this point. <laughs> right. Okay. Pinocchio is the story of a marionette that dreams of becoming a real boy. He wishes upon a star, proves himself selfless, brave, and true, and a kind fairy grants him his heart's one true desire. When the history of the 21st century is written, it could very well be the story of real boys and girls that willingly become marionettes. They stare blankly into their smartphones, prove themselves selfish, cowardly, and false, and a group of technocrats puppeteer them. Allow me to illustrate. You're a white, middle-class American woman in your late 20s. You're active on Facebook, where you have a lot of friends, but you spend most of your time interacting with your sister, your boyfriend, and your BFFs from college. You watch a lot of 90s teen dramas, but specifically skip the episode of Felicity where she cuts her hair. You work at a dental office in a mid-rise commercial building and eat lunch at the dinner, the diner in the strip mall next door every Thursday. You used to fly home for Thanksgiving and Christmas every year on United, but you recently switched to Southwest. You like ballroom dancing on the weekends. Your last three purchases were a patchwork and quilting magazine, a 32-pound bag of chicken-flavored puppy chow, and a silk tie present for your father's birthday. You are agreeable, but not very conscientious, and you are conscientious, and you are prone to worry. And voila, your specially crafted toothpaste advertisement is served. <laughs> and it shows a Colgate ad that says, did you know women smile more than men each day? Colgate Sound like the future so of advertising? <laughs> Wrong. Yeah. 
It's already happening thanks to Axiom, Oracle Data Cloud, Epsilon, and a host of other data analytic marketing companies you've never heard of. But you may have heard of one member of this new breed of data, big data-driven marketing firms in recent months, Cambridge Analytica. They're the company that Trump employed to outspin the Hillary campaign, or so we've been told ad nauseum, by the strangely PR-like coverage of the firm that has been showered on them by the corporate lamestream fake news media since the end of last year's election cycle. They build themselves as a data-driven service company that specializes in data integration and audience segmentation, delivering psychographic analysis to drive targeted advertising campaigns or profile and influence potential voters. On the significantly less buzzword-laden language of their company mission statement, they say, to deliver data-driven behavioral change by understanding what motivates the individual and engaging with target audiences in ways that move them to action. No, that's not a typo. That's a selling point. The firm uses the slogan data-driven behavior change in their online promo videos and offers the image of balls being directed down an inclined plane to illustrate how they can shape people's behaviors along predetermined paths using data and marketing. The company's CEO, Andrew Nix, likes to go on stage at various conferences and deliver spine-chillingly Orwellian pronouncements about how big data is helping Cambridge Analytica create detailed psychological profiles of millions of unsuspecting consumers and voters. These profiles can then be used to deliver individually targeted messages to each of those millions of people, whether that message is used to sell a certain brand of toothpaste or generate interest in a certain political candidate. If you watch any of Cambridge Analytica's presentations, advertisements, or PR spots on the national news, but I repeat myself, you'll see that they like to brag about their ability to combine over 5,000 pieces of data that they can collect on any given individual, from what airlines they've flown on, to what magazines they're subscribed to, and everything else you can possibly imagine, to help create psychographic profiles of that person. Whereas demographics is the division of the population into age groups and or ethnicities, psychographics seeks to divide the population up along personality lines. Cambridge Analytica touts an ocean profile that rates individuals on the rather smearily defined character traits of openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroses. By rating each individual in a target market on these characteristics, the company can deliver custom-tailored messages that appeal to different people in ways that specifically appeal to them. Thus, someone high on agreeableness and neuroses would be better persuaded to buy toothpaste by preying on their insecurity over their smile, while those with higher degrees of openness and conscientiousness would respond to advertising explaining the properties and characteristics of the toothpaste. The story of Cambridge Analytica is a particularly chilling one involving secretive hedge fund billionaires and British military psyops officers who we are now being told shape the political landscape through data-driven behavior change to usher in the era of Brexit and Trump. To be sure, there is a fascinating and chilling story to be told there, but that is a story for another time. The larger story here is of big data and it will be familiar to those who are reading this article. The long story short is that we have reached an inflection point in history Large data brokers' services have been quietly purchasing and collating thousands of pieces of data on you and everyone you know. And the burgeoning data-driven marketing industry is now weaponizing that data in psychological operations designed to influence your choices, behaviors, and patterns of thought without you even knowing it. Think of big data as a malevolent technocratic Santa Claus. It sees when you're sleeping, it knows when you're awake, and it knows if you've been bad or good, even in <laughs> advance. So be good for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's worse than that. It doesn't even matter if you're trying to be good or bad for whatever sake. The social engineers are now honing their ability to make you want to buy things, do things, 
vote for or against certain candidates and otherwise shape your daily thoughts and actions without your knowledge or consent by appealing to your individual psychological profile. And instead of running in the other direction, people are in a mad scramble to put even more intrusive data collection devices in their homes to scoop up every last drop of information about their lives and send it off to corporations they don't even know exist. The real boys and girls are uploading their lives to Facebook and Twitter while Snapchat and Alexa and uh, likes to Twitter and Snapchat and Alexa and every other big data collection front. And in the process, they're giving the big data puppeteers the strings with which they'll be pulled around like so many marionettes. It is a real question whether there is any way short of living in a cabin in the woods to avoid being scooped up in the big data dragnet. But the more fundamental question is whether the real boys and girls will ever realize or even care that they are slowly becoming Pinocchio. <laughs> I had to just, That's I wanted awesome. to take the time to read that because Corbett puts it in great, he's a great writer. That guy, everyone should probably follow his work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, our, our mutual friend, uh, Rose, just messaged me. I want to see if she can get, get her over here for this. Um, sorry. Since no, all her. good. So yeah, that one <laughs> takes go. a minute, a breather after all that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. It, it's so, um, it's deep and wide and it's big and you know so we'll definitely be talking about some solutions how to get ourselves out of that i love it i love it like they knows if, if you've been good or bad uh even before you do anything right it can anticipate and this is the problem that there's that uh, ancient wisdom know thyself and this is again that you know that would be that would be god's way to to explore and always be pushing the edge of of that self-knowledge going deeper and deeper having you know fearless about the the massive underworld of the unconscious that we are and uh and and you know the devil side of it to go in and use it for manipulation to know you so that it can anticipate you know you better than you know yourself and that's not hard to do anymore because people are hypnotized with entertainment. You know, that's why you and I do what we do, right? So we can provide some kind of alternative to that. I find I find knowledge and wisdom very entertaining, <laughs> personally. Yeah. And that's even a profile that you have probably got in their databank. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Right. And the problem with it, too, is that someone like me or you that is really driven to know these things is like, probably, if you're like me, you might accidentally go the whole day without ever turning it off. And you're just like consuming one thing after another. And yeah. in those rare moments where my phone dies and I'm on a walk with the dog or something and I don't take it with me, which I need to do more often, it's like, oh wow, I can think again. And I have all these great thoughts that like, they actually energize me and inspire me and motivate me. And I realize, oh, all the time I'm like consuming information or looking at a screen or doing work or whatever the case may be, these thoughts are like blocked from coming through. And for some people, because that unconscious is such a chaotic trauma storm that they actually prefer it that way. And that's why we get to the point of serious like information overload addiction. Actually, uh, years back when I was really new to podcasting, Corbett was nice enough to come on my show and still one of probably the most played episodes on my YouTube, but hmm. we talked about that very concept of information overload. And there comes a point, yeah, where we've got the information we need to heal. We've worked on the healing and we need to give our mind the space to breathe again. 
even though at one point we were running away from all the dark thoughts that we were having and blocking that out with positive. I like that's one of the reasons I do the show is so people can have some positive voices in their head. But we do need to like, after we've done some healing, let ourselves have that amazing portal within our mind to the infinite and to our imagination and the good ideas that will come through and the inspiration. And all I know is that a lot of the biggest energy boosts or downers I ever experienced come after a certain thought. So <laughs> once we get our thoughts in alignment, we should let them flow a little more. And that's part of what this current situation we're in is all about is replacing our thoughts with the machine. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's, it's become, I, I mean, it's no surprise, it's hard to say it, the, the, the mind is very mechanistic, it's very looped. I know you and Wayne talked about loops in your podcast as well. And I caught myself, I was going to say this earlier, so I'll say it now, <laughs> I got on, on that another loop, that uh, I just caught myself in this ongoing loop. And it, it's basically, I'm, I'm fine until I see somebody who's uh, stupid, right? Like, and, the, and I'm just reflecting the, the nature of, the honest nature of, of the, the mind that I was, the quality of mind I was dealing with. And it's like, you know, you just see the masked person, you see the masked person, you see another masked person, you see, you know, the person who's walking for me. And then she does this great big, you know, circle around me. And and then I was so, um, I was so mean. I, I walked right to her. <laughs> so she had to pass right by me. It was just like, you know, what is that? I'm trying to scare her. I don't know. And so I was wrestling with this version of my mind that is, is really uncomfortable. And, uh, and by the fi finally, after an hour walk, I finally actually managed to dump it and, and let it go and, and, and rise to a higher place. But, uh, you know, so it, we're, we're fodder for this, where they, they can come in and take advantage of, of what otherwise, uh, I don't know if you can call it natural loops, certainly uh, moved and motivated and and uh, held in place in in the same way that artificial intelligence is, right? It's our own life blood. It's our own uh, intention, as unconscious at, as it might be. But none of this stuff works without us. What do you think about that? Yeah, the feedback loop question is really interesting because that is actually a mechanism cyberneticists use to control your behavior. And cybernetics as a term, one thing I learned from Wayne is that that word doesn't refer to like integrating circuitry into your body or creating a robot that is human-like. I mean, those things could apply to cybernetics, but the larger definition is basically systems control over everything, living and machine. And so the living things influence the machines and the machines influence the level living things. But the point is that living things are in that definition. <laughs> And it's about controlling them. So feedback loops are how that works. And we are very much required for the feedback loops of the uh, echo chambers online and social media and, and memes about whether you should be scared to go outside without uh, face covering. Those type of things require the crowd to actually repeat and parrot them to have the effect that is necessary for the, the social engineering to take place. And to explain feedback loops, it's like there's two, there's like a natural way feedback loops work. And this is holistic feedback loops. They are in your body in the form of how interconnected everything is. And if there was something that affected your temperature, then a feedback loop would kick off that might make you sweat. 
And then that sweating would lower your level of electrolytes and salts in your body, which would communicate to a different part of your body. And then also maybe to your brain and let you know that you need to drink water or eat something salty. And this is a simple, basic example. But the point is that there's all this intercommunication in the body. And this is being uh, replaced currently with a central intelligence model. And for even a biological side of things, we've been taught that everything is like routed through the brain, but never really given much in, uh, attention to the fact that you have a biome in your gut that influences your thinking and your feeling. You actually have neurons, brain cells in different organs of your body. Your body is a distributed intelligence network. They shouldn't call it the nervous system. They should call it the intelligence net uh, system, <laughs> intelligence network. I don't know. Mm -hmm. and also, the, the immune system should be called the nervous system. Yeah. The electrical <laughs> system. Yeah, exactly. And mm -hmm. we, so we have these inner feedback loops and we have this holistic intelligence of our body. And that's where our intuition comes from. And what cybernetics seeks to do is interrupt those feedback loop mechanisms with external stimulus that creates a closed loop system where, for example, an addiction would be a closed loop system. You take in the external stimulus, whatever the addictive thing is, then that creates a stimulus in your body to get more of it. And then you take in more of it. And then that creates more of the stimulus in your body to get more of it. And it's like uh, a never ending circle, right? And it's not connected to other parts of the body as it's connected to an external thing that has to be granted to you or you have to go access. Not that it doesn't kick off other things in your body besides just the addiction. Of course, it's affecting your organs and other aspects of your health. And that is uh, how these feedback circuits work for cyberneticists. It's all about redirecting the uh, control point to something outside of or a central intelligence, basically. So we get that in the form of social media memes and the alchemical meme warfare that Wayne McCroy talks about, how uh, people will go to just one source for the information they're going to share, like the whole Q phenomenon. That things of that nature where it's not really people are sort of presenting themselves as like i'm a hardcore researcher i know the truth about all this and orange man's going to save us on this date and then this date and then this date and the date keeps rolling on and <laughs> then it's the next thing and they're always waiting for the updates i guess recently it was the mcafee amazingly gin ginormous well-planned theatrical so-called dead man switch <laughs> another I won't kill myself guy who supposedly killed himself. Anyway, that's just another uh, closed feedback loop system where these communities are all going to the same central intelligence for their information. And I do think that these things are from some alphabet agency, whether it's Google, which is owned by Alphabet Inc. Interesting. Or one of the government three letters. But anyway, let's uh, see what you think about this. Like what direction to steer me in? <laughs> Yeah, because there's, there's definitely more to talk about with the way big data can be used in the long term to even on a transhuman level to change our genetics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. Uh, mildly distracted, too, because there was somebody we, we got a bad one in the in the chat on YouTube. So uh, thanks, Rose, for handling that. I'm yeah, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're here. That's so good. I got your message. And uh, so I'll talk to you about it after. Thank you for that. And yeah, so the 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 
the feedback loop, the the ultimate feedback loop, like the in nature, what you're saying about, you know, so, so the, you know, you've got toxicity and your body produces a fever and it starts to right away remedy. This is the thing people don't realize about the body. For example, uh, a lot of people got onto this uh, alkaline diet craze, right? And, and it's been going for years and years, 20 years ago, I went on it and my naturopath said, do you know how many people, how, how many of my patients died on that diet? I'm like, oh, okay. And he said, like the, the, the pH of the body is infinitely more complex than you can imagine. And by putting baking soda in your mouth, all you're doing is killing the acid in your stomach that is your first line of defense against any disease. And, you know, it, the East Indian medicine knows that 80% of health is digestion. And so there's, there's so much more complexity at the level of those feedback loops that always, um, uh, you know, ideally are... I haven't totally thought through this, but but they're they're not creating that vacuum of energy. That that the, the closed feedback loop when you when you when you cut the important, uh, you know, say take away the fever for that good example that you, you you and then the body just has to like struggle with with that toxicity and have no actual um, defense against it, which is a weird word too. You don't really defend against toxins. You need to detox. And, and so the, the loop that isn't a vacuum of energy is the one that is constantly returning to source, right? I'm reading a little bit of the Nagamati scriptures now. I, I got that uh, book the other day. And it's, it's that, you know, return to me over and over and over is what I read this morning in the, the secret book of John, I believe it was, I'd have to go and grab that. But, but that's the thing, like if, if the, if the tension's always turned away from the source, then it's like that source doesn't even exist. It, it's, it still does, but it's like it doesn't. The source you know, becomes externalized with the nice. uh, cybernetic feedback loop. Yeah. Nice. But then it's like the externalization of the internal, which all the inverse priesthood of centuries have ever attempted to do. So you're right about the fact that everything in a holistic, natural biological feedback system is constantly interconnected at a source point. Their attempt to do this externally is what Wayne McCroy calls the antichrist system or the some people call the beast system. It's the attempt like to do a, a type of externalization of the Gnostic idea of the Demiurge by making it all knowing, all powerful machine consciousness that regulates everything from the outside. So yeah, it's the externalization of the internal that we're seeing here. And to like for an example of using feedback loops for your health or in a holistic approach to taking care of yourself, one of my favorite ways to activate an entire circuitry of my body is with uh, my weighted tuning fork here. And I use this thing, it's got this cool thing on the bottom that widens the surface area. I can even pro probably play a tone of this off my mixer and people could hear it, but mm -hmm. there are reflexology points on the face, on the hands, on the feet. And I get a lot of like chest constriction, can't take as deep a breath as I'd like. And whenever I take this fork to the reflexology point on the bottom of my foot, the points that correlate to the solar plexus, to the lungs, to the heart, it only takes a, maybe less than a minute before I'm taking 20, 30, 40, eventually like 50% larger breaths after. If I do it for like 10 minutes, it gets really good, but it's super quick. Like 
if I only have a minute to do it and I'm feeling kind of stressed out or, I, you know, I don't get the mental stress too much, but my body carries it. Mentally, I'm always distracted by what I'm listening to. So <laughs> it's fine, but I can feel it in my body. Like I take that moment to activate that internal circuitry that connects every part of the, what they call meridians in Chinese medicine from that point on the foot. And even though I'm vibrating and stimulating a point on my foot, my lungs open up and the constriction in my solar plexus opens up and everything strengthens. So that's just, and if you are going to do that with tuning forks and reflexology points, be aware that you can stimulate detox in your body and you don't want to stimulate detox in the wrong order or all at once. People, I found out that that is a, a rare but con considerable risk that people could run into with something like sound healing. So take it slow with that stuff. Work on one thing at a time, maybe, until you get a little more experience to where you're at. Because someone who's well detoxed might be able to stimulate the liver all day and it doesn't dump a bunch of stuff. But like, I need to learn more about that as a subject. So not to like turn people off to four because I use this thing every day, but give mm -hmm. it... <laughs> Give it time and don't overdo it when you're working with organs that can hold a lot of toxicity, which is kind of any of them. But definitely the heart, lung, solar plexus area, stimulating that is very safe and gentle and calming. And that's so that's an example of using a natural feedback circuitry that is connected all together. And it's not I mean, you are putting an external stimulus in, but your that energy is then carrying through the body in a positive loop, right? So we can use this type of cybernetics approach to technology to our favor. We just need to know how it's being used against us to have a better shot of resisting it. Oh, sorry. I have a hard time unmuting myself there. Yeah, it's um, the, the natural means and mechanisms, like I was just thinking about your, your example of detoxing and the caution around it, and there's often that caution. And I've been one of those people that has been, for some reason, willing to always experiment on myself. I don't want anybody else experimenting on me, but I'm all in. Right. And, uh, you know, so I started using uh, oil of pine. I'm, I might not say the word because I think it's one of those uh, hot, hot words right now. And, um, you know, so I was experimenting. The first day I take one drop, then I take two drops, then I take three drops, then I take four drops. And then and then one day I'm like, okay, take the whole tablespoon or something like that. And then all of a sudden it was like, it just felt terrible and I couldn't go out. And in a couple of hours of, uh, you know, my body expunged, I don't want to go into any details. And then I felt like a million dollars after that. So yeah, there was a little bit of hardship along the way, and it was and it was a it was a perfect feedback system. I got the data that I needed. That yeah, that was a little bit much, but at the end of the day, I I completely don't regret it, and I think it's better for people to err on that side, and and not be afraid of of um, you know learn for yourself for God's sake. It, you don't 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 be afraid of this stuff. Sure, go go at everything with some caution, work your way up to it. If you have any doubt, start small and see what the effect is and then add and see what the effect is then and, you know, do a little bit on the liver and see, did you notice anything? And, and you know, but I don't think we should be afraid of it because the the extreme case of people being harmed by their own detox, it's not, you will get the signs of it. 
if you are alive, if you are aware, which is our main job right now, is to to be aware uh, for ourselves and 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 not externalize that 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 reference and start and then start looking for data so we can we can figure this out on a level that is uh, linear as opposed to the totality and the wholeness of of everything that that uh, we actually have access to right and i think that's a big part of this whole evil side of data is that unconscious need to figure things out thinking that somehow by figuring it out then we have something right so people go to the doctor and they're like i just want to know why 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 do i keep having this symptom this mystery that these things perpetuate and i've tried the right things or done all the right things that's where i was at with cancer having done all the right things and i was still dying of cancer facing the mystery well then i had to go into the mystery then I had to go into the unconscious, into the depths and the darkness and things I did not want to f especially feel and see about myself. And I was able to unravel enough. Now, you, and you never undo the mystery. I'm sure you would agree with that chance. But, you know, you, you, get, you start getting access to a much more uh, sophisticated, intricate, beautiful, divine feedback system that is, that is whole. It's not just little, like his dad, it's all parts and pieces and particulates that, that in reality don't exist. Yeah, you nailed it. The evil forces, if you will, they work on the principle of division and compartmentalization, specialization, all these things that involve chopping up the information and keeping it out, the holistic look out of any one person's perspective as much as possible. And I like that you brought up the body giving you signs like whenever you are overdoing any type of healing modality or you're over detoxing yourself, you're going to get warning signs that you would have to ignore and push past before you started like really feeling the pain. And one of the issues with, you know, the pharma mafia is that they've got these drugs and medicines they're called that are able to mask your symptoms and keep you from feeling what it is the harm and havoc you're wreaking on your body and your system and we think that if we just mask the symptom then that's all good but it has nothing to do with actually fixing the problem in the circuitry of the body and whenever we do get more and more holistically healed and decompartmentalized within and the parts of our body are flowing energy through each other properly and interconnected in a proper way that manifests as a greater awareness of everything and how everything connects within and without in that fractal sense. And that is like the awakening of intuition. I always said for me anyway, psychic abilities have always just been about observation. Like the more observant I can be, the more my mind will just pop in with the exact answer more distracted I am, or the more things I'm trying to juggle in my mind at once, the less I'm going to have that inner knowing just well up. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's uh, all really good stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to play this to get back a little more into big data. Mm -hmm. I want to play this uh, video that I sent over to you. Absolutely. You Let's do this. Yeah. Is it uh, the one? Yeah, the one that I play on my channel. Okay, let's yep. see. So this is an a leaked Google video, it's from internal use only, <laughs> where they're explaining to their company and their employees how 
they're going to use all of this data that they're harvesting. And it's all couched in very, it's positive, it's going to somehow save humanity. But if you pay attention, it's really about selling you products and changing your DNA and altering your behavior. So if this doesn't make you shudder, I don't know what will. I can't believe people could work for this company and not be creeped out. But here we go. It's a little long, but, you know, it's like a movie party here. <laughs> there we go. Here, here we go. Let, let us know if you, you can hear this in the chat as well, please. Yeah, and we can actually chat with you while we watch it. There you go. This man is Jean-Baptiste Pierre Antoine de Monet, Chevalier de la Marque. In 1809, 50 years before Darwin published The Origin of the Species, he wrote what is widely so recognized as the first else. comprehensive theory of evolution. His book, The Philosophy Zoologique, introduced okay, the good. notion of an internal code within every living thing, which, when passed down through successive generations, defined the physiological characteristics of a species. At the center of Lamarck's theory laid what he called the adaptive force. He believed that the experiences of an organism during its life modified this internal code, and upon reproduction, this modified version was passed down to its young. Whilst not biologically accurate, and ultimately superseded by Darwin's theory of natural selection, the epigenetic theories put forward by him are beginning to find new homes in unexpected places. When we use contemporary technology, a trail of information is created in the form of data. When analysed, it describes our actions, decisions, preferences, movement and relationships. This codified version of who we are becomes ever more complex, developing, changing and deforming based on our actions. In this regard, this ledger of our data may be considered a Lamarckian epigenome, a constantly evolving representation of who we are. This is Bill Hamilton, one of the most significant evolutionary theorists of the 20th century. His work studying the social structures of ants, bees and wasps had a profound effect on our understanding of the role of genes in social behaviours such as altruism. He believed, and went on to prove, that the driving force behind evolution was not the individual, but the gene. He stated that the ultimate criterion which determines whether a gene will spread is not whether the behavior is to the benefit of the behavior, but whether it is to the benefit of the gene. In the mid-1970s, the British evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins built on the work of Hamilton and others to popularize the concept of the selfish gene. In his book of the same name, he introduced the notion of a gene which, whilst devoid of any motives or will, could be metaphorically and pedagogically described as if it were. In this model, the individual organism is a transient carrier, a survival machine for the gene. User-centered design principles have dominated the world of computing for many decades, but what if we looked at things a little differently? What if the ledger could be given a volition or purpose rather than simply acting as an historical reference? What if we focused on creating a richer ledger by introducing more sources of information? What if we thought of ourselves not as the owners of this information, but as custodians, transient carriers, or caretakers.
Initially, the notion of a goal-oriented ledger may be user-driven. As an organization, Google would be responsible for offering suitable targets for a user's ledger. Whilst the notion of a global good is problematic, topics would likely focus on health or environmental impact to reflect Google's values as an organization. Once the user selects a volition for their ledger, every interaction may be compared to a series of parallel options. If one of these options allows the ledger to move closer to its goal, it will be offered up to the user. Over time, by selecting these options, the user's behavior may be modified and the ledger moves closer to its target. As this line of thinking accelerates and the notion of a goal-driven ledger becomes more palatable, suggestions may be converted not by the user, but by the ledger itself. In this case, the ledger is missing a key data source, which it requires in order to better understand this user. In order to plug the gap in its knowledge, the ledger begins searching for a device which delivers the required data when used. From this list, the ledger begins sorting the options most likely to appeal to the user in question. In situations where no suitable product is found, the ledger may investigate a bespoke solution. By analyzing historical data, it is increasingly possible to discern qualitative information such as taste and aesthetic sensibility, which may be used in the creation of a design proposal. With the advent of technologies such as CNC milling and the emergent possibilities of 3D printing, a custom object may be created to trigger this user's interest. In this way, the ledger is able to plug gaps in its knowledge and refine its model of human behavior. User data has the capability to survive beyond the limits of our biological selves in much the same way as genetic code is released and propagated in nature. By considering this data through a Lamarckian lens, the codified experiences within the ledger become an accumulation of behavioral knowledge throughout the life of an individual. By thinking of user data as multi-generational, it becomes possible for emerging users to benefit from the preceding generation's behaviors and decisions. As new users enter an ecosystem, they begin to create their own trail of data. By comparing this emergent ledger with the mass of historical user data, it becomes possible to make increasingly accurate predictions about decisions and future behaviors. As cycles of collection and comparison extend, it may be possible to develop a species-level understanding of complex issues such as depression, health, and poverty. Our ability to interpret user data, combined with the exponential growth in sensor-enabled objects, will result in an increasingly detailed account of who we are as people. As these streams of information are brought together, the effect is multiplied, new patterns become apparent and new predictions become possible. Since the 1970s, huge efforts have been made in sequencing the human genome. Today, after many years of research and billions of data points, that sequence is known. By adopting a similar perspective with user data, we may begin to better understand its role. Just as the examination of protein structures paved the way to genetic sequencing, the mass, multi-generational examination of actions and results could introduce a model of behavioral sequencing. 
As gene sequencing yields a comprehensive map of human biology, researchers are increasingly able to target parts of the sequence and modify them in order to achieve a desired result. As patterns begin to emerge in the behavioral sequences, they too may be targeted. The ledger could be given a focus, shifting it from a system which not only tracks our behavior, but offers direction towards a desired result. We are at the very beginning of our journey of understanding in the field of user data. By applying our knowledge of epigenetics, inheritance and memetics to this field, we may be able to make mental leaps in our understanding, which could offer benefits to this generation, to future generations and the species as a whole. Yep, so there it is. And if you notice at the end there, I, the reason I thought it was super important and relevant to touch on this was because we're at the beginning of big data and they are planning generations ahead. And we're still over here like, should I have a smartphone or should I not? Do, do I, you know, do I really care how much of this information is being harvested? Do I turn off my Wi-Fi at night? Or, you know, we're over here like, 10,000 steps behind, and this is what they're showing their employees. What are the big wigs talking about behind the closed doors that the rank and file don't know about yet? And don't forget, this is a government agency. I mean, Google video. <laughs> Google right. is your government, folks. It's the same thing. And mm -hmm. so we have known for a long time that what is in the white world or the corporate world that we can see is always far behind the military applications. Right, and what really jumped out for me is that uh, they talk about the whole, you know, genetics DNA, which of course is, is data trying to reduce life down to some bits and pieces that it's not. Good luck with that. And, and uh, talking about it in, in the whole language of contagion, spreading genes, right? What was the other one uh, did I... I know I made a comment in the chat up here. Spreading genes, but that's also implying that they are going to change your epigenetic outcome. Mm -hmm. And through this, these data-driven nudges and suggestions and more and more of your... This is like the gamification of society thing because uh, they want people to stop thinking, what should I do today? And just kind of put into the machine like this is my intention and then let the machine give them a step-by-step -step of everything they should do for the whole day everything they should buy every place they should go and we've already seen some really creepy if you ever heard of randomnautica really creepy no. randonautica randonautica okay. that, that's scary okay yeah yeah that, well, that name is scary all by itself randonauts are people that use this phone app called randonautica to generate synchronistic experiences. So what it does is you say what it is that you want to experience in a general sense. And then this app gives you coordinates within a range that you allow for that you then travel to and see what happens. And it's supposed to just be totally random coordinates with no real input from the, and they're claiming it's to like demonstrate how synchronicity exists in the universe or something. And it does. But it's like people, there are all kinds of stories where people like teenagers will get this app and they're like, I want to experience death because, you know, they're angsty teenagers and they go out to a field where the coordinates are and they find a dead body. Like oh, this has happened. God. This type of stuff happens. Oh. I think one group of teenagers found like a chopped up body in a briefcase or something in 
in a on a beach from going to the coordinates that the app told them to go to what is really going on there i cannot claim to know but mm -hmm. this is just like the tip of the iceberg with letting the ai which you know that's a whole other question is ai even possible we'll just call them algorithms letting Al Gore's <laughs> rhythm <laughs> beat you know walking to the 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 beat of Al Gore's rhythm instead of making your own decisions and then mm -hmm. that is supposed to according to Google here also change your genetic development and pass on those changes to your children so they want to change your DNA not just with the poison darts they're handing out left and right but also with behavioral changes because we know that your environment, your attitude, and your, you know, intentions even can change the way that your so-called DNA manifests. And like, look, I'm not claiming to know everything about DNA, but all I can say is that whatever I've ever looked into more deeply that we've been told is like the truth about how the world works always turned out to be wrong or an inversion whenever I got far enough into studying it. So I don't even trust or believe DNA conceptually. Not saying there isn't yeah. something there that's useful, but like to even believe that all of life can be reduced down to these four proteins that chain together to form DNA. It's very bizarre. And they'll tell you things like if you unravel your DNA two dimensionally and make it into a line, it would go all the way to like the moon and back. And strange, there's all these strange things that they will tell you about DNA, but you never really get a grasp on anything other than a mechanistic perspective on life and that everything is ruled by this code and to me that's just like a, a veiled version of the archonic gnostic forces it's the serpent dna is even considered to be like the dual serpents of the mm -hmm. caduceus right so because mm -hmm. it's two strands that are supposed to be spiraling together so all this comes back to the serpent and if you pull up my screen Real quick. Can, can I just something... jump in with one thing oh, also do, going yeah. going back to what you were talking about that rando thing and uh, you know the, the 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 randomness is first of all an illusion because God's universe is highly ordered intricately ordered and then the data is there to bring you know the order to chaos right like that's the the uh, how do you say that ordo templar something or other do you know that phrase Ordus? ordo abkeo ordo abkeo good good excellent i'm glad yeah oh there uh rando at nautica so you said as well that's the name of that app okay i have okay, the app too snake jones i've never used it though i'm i'm fucking scared of it there's an, a big creepy owl on the icon the button for it the logo mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly but you know you want to go on some rabbit hole trips just start looking into crazy randonautica stories and you'll be creeped out right and how i see randomness is like the shadow of synchronicity right because that's the thing that the big data can't ever get a handle on is is our ability to move through synchronicity to follow divine breadcrumbs that are invisible that can't be seen that are based in in divine order they they can't control that part Right? They can't control that you and I were having some similar thoughts along the same lines and boom, here we are talking about this. And we have we definitely have some opposition in the house here. Like there's been some weirdness going on. They don't like it. So that's good. We're we're over the target a little bit, at least. And I knew uh, I was over the target mm. with Wayne on my last episode because mm. the morning after I premiered it, my YouTube channel was half gone 
as in the channel still existed, but all the videos were gone. You couldn't, but you could get to the videos with a direct link. And some of them showed up in search, but not others. And they got me with this gaslighting because I spent a good 45 minutes of that morning it, uh, trying to figure it out by looking on other devices and in other Google accounts and other people's computers. And some people in Telegram chat were telling me it was all there like normal and that mm -hmm. it was only me that couldn't see them. But then I would use other people's computers and other freaking buildings and it was still like that. And so they got me and then I complained about it on Instagram. And three minutes later, it all came back up after I posted over there. And I was like, this is strangely familiar to what happened to you with YouTube and Patreon the other day where mm -hmm. like one seemed to affect the other. Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, that was it was amazing because I don't even use my Patreon for the most part. And all I was doing was I was I was on there watching you. And then the same day that I was taken down off YouTube, a big banner popped up on Patreon saying that they had uh, it was that their truth and safety team had decided to launch me. Yeah, unlaunched me. Very good. That Excellent. sounds better than canceled. You've been unlaunched. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So no, those are really good points. I, I love it. Um, and what was the direction you were going to go in as well before I... Well, we were talking about DNA a little bit. And Chris mm -hmm. in the chat, Chris Lucas, pointed out the international barcode of life thing. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we could just pull up their website and look at it a little bit and see Absolutely. what's there for those with eyes to see. Yep, bring it up. I don't think I can do it, but I've oh, okay. got it there. So if you, yeah. There okay, we there we go. Okay. Illuminate. Oh, really? Illuminate? That's your choice of word. Okay, so check out the logo in the top left here too. It's this creepy DNA serpent head. All right, so. <laughs> can, you, can you enlarge that? The uh, screen at all? Yeah, that logo so I can see it. Oh, yeah, creepy head. I can see it now. There it goes. I can't enlarge it little, very well. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Barcode of life. Of yeah, yeah. Somebody mentioned it in the in the chat as well. Yeah. And I'd heard of this, but That's I didn't gross. have it on my list to talk about today. But it's so appropriate. I'm mm -hmm. grateful that Chris shared this with us because essentially the idea is, first of all, they're scaring you into how everything's going extinct, which the Earth may be going through a cycle like that thinks largely in part to the destruction of ecosystems humanity is doing. But we also leave out of the conversation all the time how every extinction event you ever see in the record, the historical record for what good that is, tends to follow with a huge expansion of biodiversity. So the point is you can't kill, you cannot kill life because life is synonymous with existence if you really understand this on a spiritual level mm -hmm. and all you can do is opt out of your own existence. You cannot end the existence of existence because that's all that exists. Beautiful. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So anyway, they're planning to, I guess, turn all DNA sequences into some kind of barcode library and they want to be able to track and know everything about everything, not just human life, but the other life forms too. And that will come in handy whenever they want us hybridize humans with like pigs and stuff, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> I think uh, a lot I think a lot of it I might be naive, but I, th I think a lot of it is smoke and mirrors. Right. They oh, want absolutely. It, they want us to believe they have much greater control and, and handle on all of the species and genus that exist and this, you know, and the, and the numbers of them. Like, can you imagine the, the manpower it would take to count all of the animals in, in the world that exist as if you could even be aware of all of them? That, uh, you know, because I think the 
the plane of Earth is much more vast than we're led to believe, which is why we can't go certain places, right? And uh, it, it's it's that illusion of control over life that is the the ongoing, you know, and that's why you need to battle against life because it's it's working, you know, it's not working for you, it's working against you, it's always your danger that goes back many centuries with with trying to you know, tame nature and control nature. And to be fair, you can see where, where that would have grown up because people uh, at a time, and it might be soon for us now too, were much more vulnerable to the elements, right? That, that a, you know, a hurricane comes through and it d- destroys the local economy. Well, then you got the trucks coming from Texas instead. And, you know, so we might unfortunately get back to that point where we're extremely local and at the mercy again, but it's never working. Nature is never working against us, and there's always a way to work with it. For example, we just had a massive rain, first storm in months here in, in Manitoba that's completely desertified. Like you should see the number of dead lawns is astounding. I don't care about grass, but it's just a sign. And uh, so this, this rain comes along, and it does great for those of us that are on a small scale, but for the big scale farmers, it's done. The job is already done. The damage is done. It doesn't matter how much it would rain now. You can't go back because they couldn't manage their large-scale farms in the way that, you know, that, that it, then it became a data project. And now it's a, it's a numbers data project where it's, it's less expensive for them to let the crop completely fail, plow it under, let the, the you know, government or, or the seed companies or the whatever buy them off. There's been tons of that happening with farmers. And, and if you're just looking at data, then you think you're ahead. But guess what? The whole food supply is, is just not there anymore. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to the, the weather side of feedback loops and cybernetics because they're not just controlling biological in relativity and you know the different internet of things that are coming online which is an interesting topic me and wayne got into and how the internet of things could be an externalization of the inner connectivity of your body's intelligence you know trying to make every device around you part of that networked intelligence instead of it all being on your one computer or your one smartphone but i've had a guy named mitch the orgone donor on the show a couple times mm-hmm. And he's done really amazing work to fight the geoengineering climate chains. And one thing he pointed out to me that I couldn't ignore now that I see it everywhere since he pointed it out is how whatever the case is with a story on the weather, it's always couched in the terms of it's something like apocalyptic and terrible. For example, potentially, and in my opinion, quite likely because of the work that Mitch has done in Arizona to spread the or the uh, positive not positive orgone, <laughs> you'd get on to me for saying that, the orgone generating <laughs> devices around there. Uh, there have been the biggest rains and monsoons in Arizona for a long, long time. And they do this with in the news. Like I saw an article about Arizona and sent it to him where they're talking about how because of all this terrible rain and flooding, now we have pesky weeds cropping up everywhere. And the weed problem is just really expensive for the municipal corporations that masquerade as your cities and local governments. <laughs> and I just had to crack up because not only are they like trying to pull out anything they can to complain about something that's actually quite positive, which is life-giving water returning to the region, 
they're also probably spraying that stuff with Roundup everywhere and just further toxifying their environment. But mm-hmm. one thing that I wanted to, to, the last thing I wanted to talk about with this barcode of life is about the compartmentalization thing in the division program that the overly left-brained scientific materialists are caught in. Look at this picture of this guy. He might be a nice guy. I'm not like ragging on him, but mm-hmm. see how all these leaves are in the different Oops. bags. Sorry. Well, people Oops. have been looking at it for a while. So like there's all these leaves, yeah. right? And they're all cataloged and bagged and tagged. And that's what they're trying to do to like living things too. And there's a very profound quote, very simple quote from William Wordsworth. We murder to dissect. And just think about that because that is exactly what scientific materialism is all about. Taking life and chopping it up into unliving parts and then trying to figure out how it all works when it's no longer a holistic living thing. So you don't really – we're never going to understand the big picture by – tearing things apart and killing them. And that's just the fact. I mean, there could be some benefit to studying the things that they're studying in this program or the individual researchers. They're probably, you know, they're probably not like all Illuminati, but the funding is coming from somewhere and that they use the word illuminate very clearly. Mm. Their vision is to illuminate biodiversity and on the home home page, remember illuminate biodiversity, big letters Mm -hmm. that are glowing. Mm -hmm. So, Obviously, those are just circumstantial pieces of evidence, but words have meaning, folks. And anyway, like there's there's a very it's very good to study life and to look at all the biodiversity of Earth and learn about different animals and zoom in on a bug in your garden and be like, wow, I've never seen that before. That's inspiring, but just don't kill it to learn about it. (laughs) We don't vivisect ourselves or anything else. Well, I was just actually going back to my my university days, and uh, I, I took biology for a short time, and uh, they had us do a vivisection of a worm, and uh, it was the end of me and biology. It was literally I I could not do that or or go there anymore. It was it was too gory, and then and then you think about like what did that teach me other than other than it gave me the choice to be completely numbed out to the reality of you know what what it means to be alive and how i just tortured this animal and and then look at it and then what do i think i'm getting out of observing it it's it's not like under any natural circumstances it's cut open so 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 what kind of information do you think i'm getting it's like when people go for their blood pressure and they're and they're scared to find out that they're sick while well, their blood pressure and their, you know, their heart rate is up and in that moment. And they're like, oh, my God, you got to go to the hospital. You're going to die of a heart attack right now. And it's like, no, you're giving me a heart attack right now. Get away Not from me. Not to mention me. things like, you know, they'll just my sister. The last time she went to a doctor, she told me the story. I'm glad she's hip to everything. She's <laughs> this whole scamdemic stuff has really changed her perspective on the world and that good way and we can have conversations we couldn't have before oh great she said that she was at a a regular checkup and she asked them something about something and the doctor was immediately like well let's just do a biopsy and then he wanted to biopsy one of her organs and she's educated enough self-educated to know that actually biopsies end up causing complications and illnesses later so a lot of the diagnostic 
diagnasty. <laughs> that's, a, that's my new word. That's good. Yeah, diagnasty procedures that they do to <laughs> tell you what's wrong with you and why you're broken end up actually causing the fractures that leave you feeling like you need help or feeling weakened, you know? So, mm-hmm. again, smoke and mirrors. Stay away how many? From those people. Yeah, again, smoke and mirrors on that diagnostic side because uh, how many tests that I had, and I would always come back and go, okay, well, you know, what are you going to do differently now based on that gory test? You just blew a hole in my sacrum bone, took a piece of it out, and now what are you going to do different based on the data? Nothing. You know, how do you how do you choose how much chemotherapy you give me? Oh, it's based on your weight. Ah, so you blew a hole in my ass for nothing. Right? Let's Torture. also look the let's look at the word magic side too. What is a diagnosis? You have die, di, which mm-hmm. is two, mm-hmm. and agnosis, which means to not know. So two don't know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Two two are in the dark. Right. Yeah. And 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 that's the satanic nature. Like that. the other way is mm-hmm. dia. Dia is God and Gnosis. So God knows. Or two don't mm. know or God knows. Those are the two ways you can break it apart. God only knows. That's your diagnosis. God only knows. (laughs) Exactly. And you just don't get anything when you get the diagnosis. I mean, I'm not giving medical advice here at all. But personally, I think I will never, ever again, let anyone diagnose me. That's over. I've been through it. I've seen the harm of it time and time again. I've been injured by the diagnosis, injured by the treatment for the diagnosis. Uh, psychologically having to deprogram systematically over time that diagnosis that I'd been spelled with. And, uh, and, you know, things can work so beautifully, because as soon as you've diagnosed a disease, really, you don't, you don't have anything. Yes, the yes, the body might have, um, you know, what we consider to be cancer cells in it. But by pointing to it and calling it the disease, we've lost the plot right? It's, it's Dr. Berlando that his work taught me that no, that, that what we consider to be, di- be the disease is actually the cure, right? So then you go to war with it, even if it's just inside your own consciousness, your own mind. Yeah, because that of- fever is part of a feedback loop that is telling your body to do all kinds of things that it needs to do to resolve the issue. Exactly. And so much more complex than, you know, we're like, oh, fever, bad, feels terrible, take Tylenol. And there are times to relieve suffering that can be part of it. But uh, but on the whole, it is the body actually working for you. Everything is rigged in your favor. That's that's the nature of the real universe that we're in, the real, you know, God's creation. I like what you were talking about yesterday with the, with the matrix and the mind and and the conclusion how, or it wasn't yesterday, but in, in your interview that I listened to yesterday with Wayne McCoy, <laughs> that uh, the, you know, that we're not in a matrix. Can, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, cool. Yeah, I, can't, I had a deep thought <laughs> during that conversation, several, that, we're not like your mind, your brain isn't in the matrix. Like the simulation theory materialists will tell you that everything's just a computer program. <laughs> your brain isn't in the matrix or your mind isn't in the matrix. Your mind is a matrix, which is a womb. A, that's what the word matrix means. And so whatever you are incubating in your mind, beliefs about yourself, especially or worldview, That is the simulation that you're running, the overlay that you're putting to inform you what the flavor 
of your experience of the infinite fractal of free flowing eternal being that we call life will be like. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> belief is a powerful thing. It's the strongest medication of all. And that's part of the reason why it can be dangerous to get a diagnosis from the wrong person because they're going to tell you why you're broken and that's not useful in any sense. Mm -hmm. So, and then on the other hand, you can use that matrix that is your mind to incubate really powerful ideas that generate an opening within yourself. And, you know, the useful, the, what's useful about any container is its emptiness and its openness. So if you can open up mm -hmm. a space in yourself that's dedicated to a particular change or to particular outcome, like I was just reflecting the other day, I've, I remembered someone actually asked me for a link for like the seventh or seventh episode of my podcast from so long ago, like 2015. And I listened to a little bit of it and I was like, man, that was the guy back then who opened up space in his mind for the belief and the possibility that someday he could be a pretty good podcast host. And here I am now, like, this is a crazy week for me, but I'm going to be doing like six shows and only two of them are my own over the next five days. I've Amazing. never had so many all at once before. And it's not like to toot my own horn just to say that anyone could do this. Like you just need to, if you want something to emerge into your life and as a change, it really, especially creatively, it helps to have some sort of container, some kind of the form of the digital world is useful because like a website becomes an infinite container. It is an empty container that the emptiness never runs out. You can always fill more into it, but what you put into it stays there. And yeah, it's artificial, it's symbolic, it's words on a page. But if you're creating like paintings and selling them, that container lets other people still access and, and yourself still access that energy of that painting, even after it's gone to its new home. And that becomes its own egregore in your life. The container that you're filling with your own intention and creative energy will then actually draw you different places in your life and change your life in dramatic ways and change who you are. Like listening to myself talk on a recording from six years ago or whatever it was, I was like a different person mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. And that was before my Saturn return and everything. So I've probably matured a lot since then I'm only 32 now, but it's amazing. What? <laughs> it's amazing what you can do whenever you actually start collecting your own data, <laughs> if you will, like mm. instead of just sort of letting everything pass through you open, like that's okay too. There's a woo way to life and you'll go in the right direction if you are staying in flow, but you can also really build and manifest things beyond what is possible right now by just keeping at it for long enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely. And uh, I always feel like I need to speak to belief because I've very often transcended that there, you know, treatments that I didn't believe in. I literally didn't believe in it, but I was for one reason or, you know, I had somebody come and do Reiki with me when I was receiving treatments and uh, I didn't believe in it, but she wanted to sit with me and hold my hand. And I'm like, okay, like, I totally don't believe in your woo-woo stuff. I didn't say that. But I was just like, oh, wow, you're so kind. Because, you know, my friends vacated. I Like, literally, it was it was a really a weird shit show. So it's like, oh, you want to be my friend? Okay, great. And uh, and then I had these miraculous results from the Reiki. Where, where my arm would literally feel like it got hit by a truck every single other time. 
I, this time I had no pain. And I'm like, holy crap, that worked without my belief system. In fact, I disbelieved in it. So there, there's something that goes deeper and, and beliefs are part of it. But this is, you're touching on a deep occult principle in the mm -hmm. reality, which is that the mind that is more coherent in any space or situation will override the belief of dissonant minds in the space. Mm -hmm. Very, I hope I made that clear enough. So like this individual knew who they were, knew the truth of what was possible. And regardless of if you believed in it or not, they could basically tune your biology regardless of that belief, because what they, the energy that they were holding there was a coherence that kind of like tuning an instrument. I mean, this is a big part of biofield tuning and, and sound healing that I'm into is that it doesn't matter how much someone does or doesn't believe in it. Whenever I play the forks, I can make, or I don't do it. The tone can help somebody's biology re, uh, experience a more coherent level. Right. So that's a really cool thing. Like I'm super into Reiki myself. I figured out that I had a knack for it. I don't do it as a practitioner per se, but on friends or family or in a, in the clutch, someone's not doing well. I like that maybe part of why it is so strong whenever I do practice it is because it's like, I'm not trying to be a Reiki healer. I'm not trying to be the healer. It's just like, there's someone that needs help right now. And I know this works. So I'm just going to believe that it works and, <laughs> and hold that energy. I mean, at the uh, same time, the there were, there were many things I believed did work that didn't work. So I, it just kept pointing to me towards deeper experiences. And I don't, I don't really believe that a healer sort of be argumentative. I don't believe a healer can do it to you. I really don't. Now I, I get, I get energy and coherence and stuff like that. But when you look at Jesus, he didn't, he, his coherence did not win against the Roman empire. It just didn't, right? They, they still fell into like, you know, being murderers, being, it, it doesn't, it, your coherence doesn't, doesn't uh, save you from anything necessarily. You know, but but the depths of it. I think I think what I, w I started to hear you say earlier that you were you were saying something different. It's that is that, you know, if we have the whole unconscious experience that has more, I don't want to say coherence, but it has more energy invested in it, more of your life energy, more God energy invested in it, then it tends to win. Right. So if there are internal beliefs, internal structures, internal uh, loops, which which beliefs are, they don't go outside themselves. Once you have a belief, it's closed. You're not going to go out looking for more information. You're not going to make new experiments. You're not going to challenge that belief, especially if you like that belief. Like if it, you know, it works for you, it's good. And this is where we're stuck with medicine because it's all a belief system. If you don't believe that stuff, it doesn't work in reality. It doesn't work. People don't don't get healed. They don't get better. That you know, it only gets deeper and and darker in terms of people's uh, people's uh, sickness. Go ahead, Chance. I see you're ready for something. Well, yeah, you just brought that placebo concept up, and I will agree. Just to get into the nuance, that it's not really like with Reiki. It's not really the the healer who's doing the energy. It's like they become a conduit for the coherence of the field around them, which is always in that state and try to help the other being find that same level of tone or tune. 
but there's you know not to not also not to be argumentative but i've witnessed and experienced a lot of pretty wild energetic stuff with uh, other practitioners at qigong and that yes most reiki practitioners aren't projecting their own energy but there is a level of inner fire that can be projected by somebody that has got that system firing properly and like i for example i can make things hotter with my hands without touching them like i can project heat out of my hands i don't know how or why exactly the mechanism of that but there's something like our power like you said whenever you have a belief about what is or isn't possible that immediately cuts you off to learning something that's uh, outside of that belief so i like to roll with the non-conceptual perspective of what humans are possible of like not chained to one concept and that really my ultimate knowing about human nature and human potential is that humans are whatever human nature is whatever we are becoming in this moment and that's really the only thing that we are it's kind of the, another way of saying i am what i am because it everything is in flux the dao is constantly flowing in that perspective so yeah i mean it's usually generally unwise to try to be like i'm the jedi i'm projecting healing light into you and you don't want to go on that ego trip if you can avoid it if you can see the danger there of like i'm the special one and instead just that we're all very powerful up into the limitation of the beliefs that we've let ourselves continue to have so Mm-hmm. It's an interesting direction to go in this conversation. Actually. I know, I know. It's a bit of a tangent, but I still feel like I want to say because having gone through that journey with my health, I was, um, I will say, victim to many healers coming after me. And they'll still do it. Like you say, I sent, I mentioned something on a stream. I'll get some message from somebody going like, oh, I can heal you. And I'll do it for free. <laughs> they almost always want to do it for free. Um, and it, it's it's like literally the the disposition i think it's a sh- i think it's a totally a shadow because you're coming at somebody wanting to change them now on the surface like well you want them to feel better you want them to have less pain all of that kind of stuff it seems quite benevolent but you're actually at the psycho- at, at the subconscious level you're enacting a a violation of their free will that therefore it is a violence to them to want them to change and that's where we're at with with you know our friends our family who aren't awake we're like oh, i just want to shake you awake or you know i'll i'll kill you if you go get that poison deadly jab <laughs> kind of you know and that's unconscious we're not aware of that and it can be very urgent but it is absolutely a violation of of the the basic covenant of free will so you know there it's that's why i will never in a million years call myself a healer my work is very healing it just is if somebody does it then you know they can walk through powerful doors somebody i had a client finish all healing is self-healing yeah it really is i agree with where you're going with this that like the identity Mm -hmm. identity is the the super ego that is running it's the super ego ai you and i have talked about this in your psyche that is trying to posture yourself to the outside world so that you'll be seen a certain way and that's a lot of times the program the shadow that's at work in other you know they have they are well-meaning to some degree but people will want to 
find like and offer it for free, which is a proof of the the lacking boundaries. The real healer usually lets the situation come to them. It's a concept of like soul clients that when you're in flow, mm -hmm. those that need you will appear and you don't need to. It's not that you can't make yourself available or visible. No, but that exactly. You're not like chasing down leads and trying to like, you know, make it into this business the way that business is run by corporate America. And even to tie this back into the big data question, the thank you. <laughs> everything that's on offer from that Google video that we watched is working in much the same way. They're like, here's the offer. We can do all this for you. Just let us control your life. It's going to be better. And Bingo. we're going to heal your genetics and we're going to heal your stress by taking all the decision making out of your life. And yeah, that's just not the way. Never take those offers. They're always an offer and you don't, you don't need any healing unless your inner voice is telling you that working with the particular modality or person is going to help you. And then there's nothing wrong with pursuing that, especially if you have a strong conviction about it, but that like, you know, this whole business of commerce combined with healing is very sticky and tricky. And uh, I won't say that like everybody that does this as a living for a living is by any means a bad actor or a dissonant individual, but there's probably a spectrum that on any given day, most people that do this type of work might fall on one side of the spectrum more than the other of being like kind of overly aggressive about their services versus receptive to the soul clients that are appearing in their life. The reason why people would be non-receptive to the soul client level and just go after the low hanging fruit of people they can convince need them is because when you get into working with soul clients and that type of DAO flow, you have to be doing the work on yourself for them to even appear, let alone for you to be of any help to them. And everything Precisely. that you might do as a healer on that level requires you to find the where it is within yourself and make the make the switch to, that is required or move the energy that's stuck because on the fractal level it's the as within so without thing or from the the inward dot to the outward roll <laughs> that's yes. actually the correct quote beautiful i love that yeah it's that's where they have us hooked you know the, the majority of the population will will give up their data because they're giving us this exact message that you said that that here's how we'll keep you safe from yourself from your own internal uh bad bad ones and the external bad ones and the future bad ones right because we're all we're all sucked into the well we are all but uh they're all sucked in to this future, right? They already in Manitoba now had supposedly lifted instructions. And then they said to the businesses, but you can do whatever you want, right? So the majority of businesses out there have not lifted restrictions. It's actually worse than ever. And now customers take it upon themselves to come and remind you that this is the store policy, the fascist store policy. But um, damn, where was I going with that? <clears throat> pull, up the, pull up my screen while okay. you're finding that thought. Okay. I have an article. We don't have to read the whole article. I just, you know, we all know this is happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just the, just, this just is the basic point. That's, That's right. The point you were making. Exactly. That it's going to come from some external source, other than you taking responsibility for yourself. Go ahead. 
No, the, I just wanted people to see this. Facebook scans the photos and links you sent on Messenger, and it reads flag chats because this is exactly what you're talking about with the tech oligarchs that they're offering to do it for you. They're taking these liberties with your freedoms because it's all to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they give an example about how Facebook's messengers practices helps, helped against ethnic cleansing in Myanmar that was probably seeded by social media propaganda in the first place. Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yep. So it all comes down to you, no matter what. That's the thing that we can't we can't get out of. We have that responsibility, even if you act like somebody else has a responsibility for whatever it is for, for your health, for your happiness, for, for your relationships. It's it's all something that if you don't do the work between you and your creator and take out the middleman, right? That's what the data always provides this this kind of middleman to to step back and consider and see something that that we think exists within the the real phenomena, but it doesn't. It's a third thing. Wasn't uh, Wayne talking about this too, how there's how there's that, that middleman and it's like the, the salt and the oil and the mercury in the alchemy? You know, that might be some context that you're drawing from my episode with Benjamin Balderson that wasn't that long ago. Okay. And the one with Wayne <laughs> and making right. your own connection there because... <laughs> Yeah, Mercury is the middleman. He's the messenger of the gods, they say. That's why there's so much mercurial symbolism around everything big tech with commerce. Like, I don't know if anyone's ever noticed when they're using PayPal, for example, and you're going through different secure screens and signing in or whatever, but there's actually a specific domain that PayPal uses in its service when you may not even notice, but in your URL bar of your browser, while you're PayPal and stuff, you'll see the word Hermes in there, like something to do with the software is named Hermes. I don't even know what it is, but there are these clues all the time about that idea. And really the, all the parasitic forces of the world are middlemen, interestingly enough, not people that are internally balanced and walking the middle path themselves, but that have externalized that concept and sought to become the middle between life and life basically between the two poles of life like to generate energy off of uh that polarity like a battery and that's mm -hmm. where we get we come in and they want to turn us into matrix pods to harvest our energy and they've already been harvesting energy off of us for a long time Att energy flows where attention is directed right so it goes back to that idea of a container if all your energy is directed towards Netflix, where does that go? It is just like wasted and ritualistically lost, maybe even harvested by some big horned egregore that is connected to Netflix that we have no idea about. Because mm -hmm. that's the fun thing about thought constructs on, on the occult side, the metaphysical side, that thought forms can exist that you have no idea exist, and they can be connected to things that seem totally innocuous. That is what corporate symbolism logos usually are all about. So it's to invoke some thought form that ex exists on a, the metaphysical level. So that's, like I said, why it's so important to have your own containers for your attention, energy, your spiritual currency to flow into, because then that's something that you own and retain. And then you're keeping your own energy instead of it being harvested by middlemen. And that's what commerce is all about. It's about being the middleman between you and the good or service that would actually be helpful. 
not that everybody on like a small business level involved with commerce or that is supplying products is somehow bad, but when we think about it like conceptually, what would the world be like if everybody was just helping each other get what they needed for the, but also wanting to make sure that everyone involved got a good deal. I'm not saying we can't have commerce. I'm not saying everything needs to be like free. Obviously the technocrats are trying to push us towards communism and big data and communism go hand in hand because you really need these predictive models and these informational metrics on people to control them. That's why China's doing so well now compared to the previous iterations of communism because they have this tech infrastructure supplied to them by our wonderful Western countries and then built over in China by their slave labor, right? So anyway, that's kind of like a ramble, but yeah, the, the middleman is always the, the devil in these situations. And this mercurial figure shows up everywhere from medicine to banking to you name it. And not that that is actually a bad, like it's just a continually inverting the something that's a spiritual concept and a spiritual truth and externalizing it to make it into a cybernetic control system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautifully said. And on the light side, it, continuously refining that element, not trying to kill it, right? Because that's Mercury and the ego are, are in the same category, not trying to kill it, but to, to make use of it um, sparingly. So sparingly, sometimes you don't need it at all. For example, my role as a coach, I have become a, you know, uh, an increasingly better coach and just from the results that I get to, to see on the other side, of course, when there's somebody who's, uh, who's, who's a willing participant, if they're not, I can't do it to you like we were talking about. But the, my role, I'm, I'm really sitting back. Someone gave me a testimonial yesterday and said, like, this was so fascinating because I was guiding the whole thing. Now, it's not that you just like a psychologist say, like, what's your problem? Tell me all your problems and I'll just sit here for 50 minutes and then send you $200 bill. It's not like that. But it's, it's, uh, you know, never, never getting in front. It's never predicting. It's never that uh, guessing that I know what they're going through or what they are able to go into and handle kind of like, you know, how could you decide for anybody what they're, they're prepared to detox today? It's just not going to happen, right? So the sitting back and being there often with nothing more than the right question and then sitting back again and watching all the magic happen because that's what they have going on in them. And if, if I, uh, you know, become the one that has to engineer and maneuver and, and push them around, and certainly I've been the recipient of, of, of much, uh, you know, treatment or coaching or whatever like that, it's annoying. Like, can, can you just let, there's a process happening here. Can you, can you just let that happen? And to be so soft and walk so soft in somebody's life and yet having this person say that, there's something about this. In our live sessions, I get totally different results compared to when I try this on my own. And why is that? So it's not that your role isn't valuable and uh, I don't work for free. People invest, uh, you know, and, and handsomely actually. And I, that, I do that by design because when they are invested, then they will do the work. 
and then I won't resent them when it's time to work with them. It works copacetically as long as we're in the in the commerce system. But to the extent that we can start to remove that middleman at every turn, like what do we need the banks or do we can we start to do some direct a lot more direct exchanges? Do we need the government to keep us safe? No, we can take our own health into our own hands to a, to a massive extent. Maybe not a. A hundred percent. There will be times where, you know, if you lose your leg and you want someone to put it back on, that's a good idea. I would be glad that the uh, the, the surgeon is there at that time. But, uh, you know, and it's a purification. I often feel I often feel that the, the middleman in, inside myself draining off literally and then and then these two things can work. This is Benjamin Balderson's more like superconductors. Right, they they work direct. There's no middleman. There's no loss uh, resistance. I think is how you you term that in a in a what do you call it uh, electrical model. Well, I have activated a feedback loop in my system, which is that I had too much coffee before this and a bunch of juice. And I need to go to the bathroom real quick, but I'm pretty fast, and then we can maybe move into some final points. Okay, uh, excellent. Yeah, because I, I have one big topic uh, I'd love to cover and go ahead. So uh, okay. I will, I'll remove you for a second and, and then just let me know when you're back. So that's fun. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> it's always great. I actually, the, the guru that I studied with in India, he had a lot of problems, like uh, big problems, but he did say, you can put off a lot of things in life. You can put off eating, you can put off sleeping, you can put off conversations, you can put off all kinds of things, but you cannot put off going to the bathroom. <laughs> and I always had that with me because honestly, you really don't think about anything else if that's the case. So this is an official bathroom break for everybody but me. I'll stay on. And uh, yes, do absolutely. There's a, a link to Interverse on Telegram. So you can go and jump into his uh, Telegram group there. And I always forget to say, come and join me on Telegram in the same place. You'll find some of the same people in both groups, like I was saying before. And let's see if I can grab that link for you. I'm pretty sure I have it here somewhere handy. If not, I'll go and grab it or if anybody else has it. If you're not on my channel, again, yeah, I think I haven't got it up there, but I will grab it. It's called King Hero Zone and it's connected with my name as well. So if you go on Telegram and just search my name, you're likely to find some version of me. But here it is. And uh, this I'll make a, a banner for it. So this is the the King Hero's Journey on Telegram, and I'll drop it here so you can click on it as well. King Hero Zone, I called it. It used to be the King Hero Central, and then I realized we're trying to decentralize, so I changed it to the King Hero Zone. Now I'll find out something wrong with, with Zone, and I'll have to change it again, but that's how I roll. So you please do join me there. What else can I share with you? Well, Chance is not here. If you haven't got a copy of my book, it is the, uh, it's called Journey. It is a map of archetypes to find lost purpose in a sea of meaninglessness. And uh, so you can go and grab it. <clears throat> you can get a copy of that sent right to you as a PDF while you're waiting for the hard copy to show up in the mail. I've got tons of good feedback about that. And Chance is back. Yay, here, here he comes. Hello, Chance. It's a really good book. If you've been watching Beth and you haven't read her book, you're missing context that will make every conversation she's in click that much better. 
Thank you so much for that. And here's the direct link. The Journey Plus Freedom just means that you get some added goodies. The, the bonuses are that PDF of the book instantly in case you don't want to wait to read it. And you also get eight recordings of the archetype study groups that I launched the book with. So those are really interesting. And uh, so what, what do we have left on the table to discuss? I've got one big topic. And uh, what about yourself, Chance? Do you have anything ready to go? Yeah, let's uh, talk about, you know about Palantir? Palantir, no. Okay, great. Lay it on me. <laughs> well, it's really difficult to know exactly what Palantir does because it's pretty shady, but I'll just read from the Wikipedia real quick. Palantir Technologies is a public American software company that specializes in big data analyt analytics, founded by Peter Thiel, who's also one of the co-founders of PayPal. Peter Thiel of PayPal, PayPal, because this is all coming from the Vatican and they're always letting you know that. He's also got the pal in the word palantir, but he's involved with something else that has a pal in it. I'm just not remembering off the top of my head. Anyway, the name palantir is derived from Lord of the Rings, where there are these magical seeing stones that have the uh, ability for anyone to see everything that's going on in the other stones. And it's basically like the all-seeing eye metaphor of the giant flame being Sauron eye. Because in the movies or the book, whenever the characters look into the Palantir, they just see the Dark One who's watching everything through them because he's got most of them. Anyway, so that was a great name to name your company that has to do with big data analytics. And they say it's just about analytics, but who really knows? Um, my cat's trying to get involved here. Sorry about that. <laughs> sure that you can relate he got in yeah while i was trying to get back in here okay get down <laughs> so there's been some controversy with palantir of course uh usually having to do with like leaks of information but ultimately i just wanted to bring that up because the pentagon and darpa and related agencies have been utilizing big data collection for a while and Companies like Palantir have government contracts and it's all very shady what they're really doing with that. But there are researchers out there like Corbett, for example, but he's not the only one that have gone deeper into the into what they're about. Just wanted to throw that search term out there, Palantir, P-A-L-A-N-T-I-R. I'll uh, link it in the YouTube chat here. Yes, please do. And and then and just the inversion, maybe you already said this or, or implied it, but the, the word pal means friend. Right? And it's <laughs> it's the exact opposite. This is not your friend. It's not even you know, we're dealing in the uh in in a zombie world here with things that are not even alive. Yeah, and uh palace is a stake or pole in mm. Latin. So whatever that might, whatever correlations that might have for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, because that is actually where information in the old times would often be posted as you'd post your, you'd put notice up on the public stake. It's when you say I have a stake in something. It's referring to this pole that has used to exist where you would like, you know, nail a piece of paper or parchment with your, your announcement on it. And that's a whole other interesting side tangent we could talk about someday. Clint Richard Richardson's done cool work on reinterpreting the New Testament of the Bible under the context that the pole 
is the the the, the cross, if you will, is actually this public place, this public pole, and to crucify in the metaphor that he's reading the Bible through, which is just one of many possible interpretations, has to do with like basically killing your legal fiction self, your Roman slave citizen self, by putting the notice on the pole or crucifying yourself on this uh, public notice board and saying that this legal entity is now dead and that you're no longer property of any municipal corporations that we call the government. So that's like a, a cool tangent. People might want to look into Clint Richardson. Love that guy. Yeah, um, I'd love to have him on actually. Sunday school. That's the the video channel you can find a lot of his work on that type of stuff in. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what else we have? I wanted to also talk about Pegasus spyware that has uh, emerged recently that people have been finding out about. Basically, Pegasus is a spyware capable of reading and tracking basically everything and also listening to devices, microphone and camera and harvesting information from any app. And it's a Trojan horse spyware developed by the Israeli intelligence agencies. Interesting. Uh, And it was revealed this year that as of 2016, Pegasus was basically getting itself covertly installed on every mobile phone out there and exploits a zero day vulnerability, even in Apple devices. Zero day meaning that from the from the jump, this vulnerability was there. It is a, a structural integrity vulnerability that Pegasus was the spyware is aware of how to exploit. So basically that information is probably also being sold, not just collected and is certainly being used by intelligence agencies because they're in bed with each other. And there's a, a lot of fun things that the Israeli military has developed and gotten themselves into around big data. And just to go through a little checklist, Unit 8200 is a branch of the Israeli Defense Force responsible for signals intelligence. It's their equivalent of the NSA. And some X-8200 members in recent years have started the following corporations. Carbine 911, a next generation call handling platform for 911 calls and emergency call centers that was found, this was founded and run by a gaggle of ex-Israeli military and intelligence officials and uh, bankrolled by Jeffrey Epstein, Peter Thiel and others, Peter Thiel who created Palantir. Interesting. They've also come up with uh, Converse Infosys, which is a corporation that made wiretapping software used by law enforcement that contained uh, a backdoor through which wiretaps can be intercepted by unauthorized parties. Who who are these unauthorized parties? Probably Unit 8200 agents. (laughs) (laughs) Cyber Reason, a cybersecurity firm founded by the Ordiv, an ex-Unit 8200 member. And it is stacked with many of the unit's members coming from other organizations as well, like the NSA. And uh, that probably, we don't really know what they're doing other than cybersecurity, but I wouldn't be surprised if firms like that were really connected into this cyber polygon event that was most likely the simulation for future false flag cyber terror events. And anyway, the last one is uh, TOKA, T-O-K-A, a spyware firm co-founded by ex-8200 member Ehud Barak. I don't know how to say his name, but 
Also, the uh, former chief of Israel's Defense Forces cyber staff was headed, was part of the uh, leadership of this company. And they are aiming, Toka is aiming to provide a one-stop hacking shop for governments, <laughs> hacking technology, specializing in Internet of Things devices. So your Alexa friend and those type of things and the baby monitors that Amazon wants to put into your child's <laughs> crib and, you know, your front door camera and, and everything. So... It's a lot more than just Pegasus that is uh, reading your data off your phone. Everything basically everywhere is all routing back to one or another central intelligence agency, and they are probably connected at a common source as well. I think the Vatican, something to do with the Vatican, but <laughs> maybe that's just the, the front man for, for us to think of. But yeah, that's some of the, the last content I wanted to talk about and just show how it's not just our government that this information is going to. They're all in bed with each other. They all work together behind closed doors. So hold there the cap go. for a second. Got your fur, baby. Yeah, so um, do you have five more minutes to, to do something that might have been great at the beginning too, but maybe also sure. an excellent place to end? And you started talking about um, gematria and uh, you know the basic phenomena of counting is something that I've been really ruminating about and just, just you know meditating. Is this something in nature? Or is this, in fact, the whole satanic thing when it comes to, you know, counting? And again, we think we get a handle on, for example, counting money, then we think we understand value. But we know that that's not true because there's so many people making thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on absolutely no value. They're, they're, they're printing trillions of dollars. There's no value inside it. And there was no work. There was no actual um, thing that uplifted anybody's life in the process. And it creates this illusion of that where, where money is concerned specifically with value. And, uh, you know, every time you think you know something based on this counting, and the accounting and all of the accountants being the middleman, right, that, uh, I, you know, I can't operate in, in business without an accountant, I just can't do it. There's, there's things that I, I mean, I don't want to take the, the time to, to become proficient at either. That's a sheer laziness on my part. I, I know that stuff. I just don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want to spend no, my time. No, I mean, that they way. make it that complicated to bar people from doing entrepreneurial work, make it challenging. Because they think I got to do everything myself. I can't afford an accountant, and then they just get paralyzed and stuck, or they break some rule and get in trouble later. I need a freaking accountant myself. <laughs> They're not as expensive as you think they are, and uh, but it's it's annoying, like really to ha to have to have so many levels of of middlemen counters, bean counters, and you know the the uh, the Count Dracula. I was thinking, I think about this like the counts, right? That the, the historical presence of the of the counters and those taking inventory and how we've learned to internalize the internal count of, of always, um, you know, saying, for example, in a relationship, what's my issue? What's their issue? It's all accounting. <clears throat> and you really don't get anywhere because then you, you've just decided, oh, half of these problems are that person's problems. You never assume the totality of the situation, the wholeness, which is the reality it's never the parts, it's never the pieces, the particulates are, are a fiction. And, and so what's your take on that? Do you think there is? Well, you nailed it right at the end, mm -hmm. fiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, did you have a little more to throw in, the, in there? Yeah, I was just, I was just curious what your, it, does counting have a place in nature? Is there something natural about that? Hmm, well, 
conceptually what we're dealing with is fictional. Like numbers are a fictional conception in our mind. They're an abstraction. Technically, there's not one of anything. There's not three of anything. There's not nine of anything. There just is what there is. Even if you count three stones in your hand, there are other stones in the world besides those stones. And stones exist regardless of how many you're aware of and can count. There's a lot that goes into this, but first, I think the abstraction of value is part of the the initial onset of our problems in humanity because we use words to do this and uh, words are not reality, especially not nouns. For example, we have the idea of resources, but what does that word tell you? It is a re source. So you're taking something from nature, which is source, and it has no value in our abstract conceptualization, but in because it's valueless, it's priceless, that means its value is limitless as well. The value of anything in nature is exactly what you're able to do with it or how it can benefit life. And that's the value. And so there's no number associated with that. And when we then take those parts of source or nature and call them resources and even create artificial scarcity to make them seem more valuable or things like that. That's where the middlemen are really coming in on a sort of satanic or adversarial to nature sense. And even the word putting the word re Ray, that's even a, a God, if you will, like a solar deity. So it's all in the words, like people get lost in the word and the word becomes their reality. And that's the big problem that we're facing with the, how the big tech companies are able to manipulate us. We went from literacy being a very low percentage of the population to a very high percentage. And then that was a good thing up until the point where that literacy is weaponized against us in the form of propaganda, Mm -hmm. like the Smith-Mund Act that Obama repealed in 2012 that allows for the government to fund propaganda openly. So you have counting in the form of like, you know, you're uh, use an example Snake Jones might relate to. You have enough space in your garden bed for 10 plants and you counted that up. There's nothing inherently wrong with that abstraction. Mm-hmm. It is the tool that is your mind being used in a way that is whole, like helpful to your life and mm-hmm. improving your life in some way. So that's all good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess... That's a really good statement, God, the only true accountant. Whenever we start keeping score interpersonally in our relationships, we're now playing a game. Mm -hmm. And if you find yourself keeping score with people that you interact with or like maybe your partner, you feel like, oops, I'm playing with this big uh, tiger's iron. Oh, beautiful. Dropped it. But (laughs) yeah, when you keep score with like your, your wife or your husband and you're like, I did all this, this and that for them and... They didn't do anything for me. Exactly. Well, you're always picking and choosing and abstracting. And there's no real, there's no reality to it. Like at the end of the day, you coexist and whether they are good for you to coexist with or not, you know it. But if you choose to and want to coexist with this person, the last thing you want to do is keep score. Anytime, like you, you and I have talked about this. It's a nurturer archetype shadow, which is that, 
you overdo it for others and then feel resentful of them for not reciprocating all of that effort. So at the end of the day, like when you're keeping score, pay attention to that in yourself and try to figure out how to not be in that dynamic where you feel like you're at a loss because also, yeah, so maybe you spent $20 on a nice dinner for somebody and then you wanted, you feel like they didn't reciprocate that because of this artificial value on dinner that you've given it, which is the form of the market cost that it, it, uh, it put your wallet back $20, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you put a value on the smiles that that person caused you to have during dinner, the laughter they gave you, maybe the intimacy. And it's not like now all of a sudden you're trying to turn this into an exchange of like, I bought you this and now you're giving me this. And <laughs> the dynamic between the genders for many decades, that was kind of the thing is like, I'm providing the value in the form of money as the man. And you're providing a value in the form of like intimacy and, and sex. And like, here we are not very far away from, concept of prostitution now so right <laughs> it, you know, let's not keep score with each other let's give whenever our cup is full enough to give mm. let's hold whenever we need it for ourselves, and let's trust in the flow of the universe that if we are if we have the this is something wayne said that if there, if you know what the right thing is to do then do that always do what's the right thing that that's doesn't brilliant. require you to keep score that idea and if yeah. that's the if that's your default program you're running, that means no matter what happens or whatever situation you find yourself in, you can trust that you can trust the creator in a sense, but also you can trust that everything will be fine because there's a trustworthy person that'll be there, which is you. But the only way you can trust in the future and in every moment without fear is if there's a trustworthy individual that's always going to be there, which means you have to get right with yourself and that involves a lot of healing work to stop self-sabotage behaviors and make yourself feel like you are trustworthy to yourself. So there's a, that's a, a lifetime journey. They can always be, we can always go deeper into learning to trust ourselves and the world around us. Uh, but the best way to be in a harmonious world and in a, a consistent flow state is to is to do what Wayne said, do the right thing when you can. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like don't play games with people. Don't keep score with people. If you're doing that, then you're in for disappointment eventually, always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm so glad we ended on that very high, wise note. And that my jury's still out about God, the accountant. You know, they do say that uh, God knows how many hairs you have on your head and that kind of thing. And I'm just wondering to what extent that was installed the whole counting kind if of I was thing. God, I wouldn't give a shit about how many hairs on someone's head there were. I know, I know, exactly. Like that's, it's just, that that's irrelevant. That sounds much more satanic to me, wanting to count the hairs on your head. It's like right? the Demiurge version of Jehovah. Right, right, exactly. Good. Okay, we, we nailed that then. <laughs> well, Chance, this has been incredibly fun and uh, enlightening and there's so much good feedback in the, oh, I like this uh, from Howard, just last last comment I'll show, tally marking, tally whackers. <laughs> there you go. And I invite everybody to go and check out interversepodcast.com. Do, um, if you want to drop your link again to the Telegram, that would be great. And anything that you have coming up, if you want to let people know about that before we close off. 
Well, I'm having Beth back later in the week. Right, right, good. <laughs> Glad you remember. If I do it live, it'll be in the afternoon, uh, mm-hmm. a little like an hour later than this was. But yeah, I think we. I think I will. Too. Yeah, let's do it live. live. It's way more fun that way. I think we had it, yeah, down for 3 p.m. Central. I have a lot to do over the weekend. So if we do it live, it saves me time on the back end. And yeah, it's fun to be able to interact. Exactly. We're going to talk about Beth's adventures with medical freedom. (laughs) And you're going to share a lot of very helpful stuff. Because one of the most common things that comes up in my Telegram that I just linked is like, what do I... I have a friend that their work is saying they have to get a poison dart or something like that. And we can talk about solutions and and remedy and knowing your rights, because at the end of the day, you got to know, no solution will ever work for you until you know yourself and what your rights are. And that's no different than knowing what is right and doing Mm. what is right. It's actually all one thing. Oh, thank you, you, Beth. I gotta say, thank you. Always a blast to be on here. This topic was cool that you threw this at me because it caused me to do research. I wouldn't have done this week to prepare for it. And feel a little more confident talking on these subjects in the future when they come up because of this experience we had. And yeah, it's always a delight to uh, interact with you and your audience. I'm sure we'll do it a bunch more. Likewise, it is a delight for me. Thank you for coming on. I'm excited to be on your show as well on Friday. <clears throat> uh, thanks to everyone who hung in on Rockfin, Karen, and uh, and a few others. Just uh, Christine, and uh, there was one more earlier on. Mooney tipped me, so that's pretty fun. I'm not Yay, waiting Mooney. for tips. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know Mooney as well. She your she came contact. into one my last Rockfin show, and she tipped me, and she gave. Good advice to President Joe Biden, who was in the chat. <laughs> oh, right. I was there. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Nice. I love all the cross-pollination that's happening. And uh, hello also to uh, Fakebook. I'm sorry I don't shout out to you guys much. They completely suppress. I, like, I'll, I'll get, you know, 27 views on Dr. Barry Lando's video. Like, really? They're just burying. I don't burying... even bother with Facebook now. No. Yeah, I know. I don't know why I do exactly. There's still some good. There's still good. lots of good people on there that are not willing to vacate yet. So One of the articles. Uh, I didn't share that I had for this that I considered was like an article about whether or Facebook deciding that maybe they're not going to harvest patients medical data from faith and uh, like Facebook is basically admitting that they have the capability if they wanted to to not just have all your Facebook data but all your medical data but in this article from 2018 they're saying well we decided not to do that like the, <laughs> it's ridiculous whoa whoa and finally, a shout out to YouTube. Thank you, everyone there for joining and uh, for all the new subscribers. It's been awesome. So super enjoyed that. Uh, by the way, for the people that caught the Patrick King interview, I have gone and changed the titles of it because it was a false claim that I didn't catch in advance. And uh, so I've I've done that as a correction that he was not the cause of the restrictions being lifted in Alberta. And uh, there's lots of question marks around this. So I don't want anybody using the fact that I interviewed him as an endorsement. It's not the fact we're looking in very closely. There's unfortunately tons of evidence, you know, documents that he said were going to be like, oh, I got them in the morning. I've been hearing that now every single day. Oh, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning. So, you know, it's not to necessarily say jump to conclusions and think that everybody's a psyop, but uh, keep your eyes open, keep your wits about you. Don't believe stuff just because you're desperate to believe something that's where that's where that loop of the of the belief becomes a nemesis to you keep keep your eyes and your ears open stay open to the experimentation that is truly the basis of 
of uh, our natures, our God natures that don't need to count necessarily almost anything. Maybe there is a use for it, but uh, I think mostly not. So once again, thank you, Chance. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you over on Chance's channel on Friday. Bye, everyone.